the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. Now, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degree. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of my master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, San Francisco, California. Now, because of my training, my experience, and my lifelong interest in business and economics and the roles these philosophies, these studies play in our lives, the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also do wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I also sometimes have the opportunity to seek out and, and at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you can even imagine, simply because they worked hard their whole lives, saved up a bit of money to see them through their retirement and leave something to their grandkids. And that, for some reason, puts the target on their back for charlatans. Well, when I have an opportunity to deal with such charlatans, it gives me an enormous amount of pleasure. So I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown here in my makeshift studios in my home in another of the world's most beautiful cities. That is to say, my hometown, my adopted hometown, the wonderful city of Oakland, California. And I come to discuss some of the financial and economic and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, once again, I must preface my remarks by saying, that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that you need to consider as you seek out and find qualified professional help. And once again, I do this because I urge you, if you have a legal matter where you have to stand before a judge 
and your adversary is an attorney, why put yourself behind the eight ball? It's like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you as a lay person, no matter how brilliant you are, and you probably are very brilliant, you're dealing with people on the other side and the court, which if the court, the courts that I stand before for the most part will bend over backwards to try to assist lay people who try to represent themselves. They can't give you legal advice. Otherwise they'd be stepping out of line. So your adversary is going to be a lawyer. If you're dealing with trying to save your house or your automobile or something that has financial value, because they have the ability to pay those lawyers to represent them. And then there you are without a, without a truly good understanding of all the procedural and substantive issues that you need to bring before the court. And like I said, it's like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. In such situations, butter knife loses. Bullets win. And I'm not talking about, you know, violence of any kind. It's just that your adversary is packing and unless they're napping, which they're not because they're getting paid to be awake to represent their clients, uh, you might be able to sneak up on her if she's taking a short nap and scratch her on the arm or poke her in the eye. But what I'm getting at is your valid claims and your righteous defenses in such circumstance will likely see the promised land way before you do. So, again... The reason why I'm on this radio station talking to you about these issues is I want you to think about what it is that you need to consider, especially when your money's on the line. Uh, because in these cer- strange circumstances that we're finding ourselves in today, more and more of us either don't have finances or the ones that we have, we need to hold on to. So we really need to consider what we need to do to protect our ourselves or our families or our small businesses or our employees, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. So now that it appears that no, the November 3rd election results are finally in and have been validated, and we have a new administration winding its way through the maze to the inauguration on January 20th, 2021 at high noon. Yippee! Our thoughts can turn back to the more pressing matters this Thanksgiving holiday weekend, 2020. How can we conquer and hopefully cure COVID-19? Again, I'm not a doctor. But as a lawyer and as a person who breathes air and is cognizant of what's going on, the fact that we have not cured COVID-19, come up with a vaccine and preventive measures is having a negative impact on our economy and having a negative impact on the regular Jane and Joe Doe's out there in the world who have lost their jobs, whose businesses are being shut down and who are also being ill. So there's a relationship between, you know, what it is that I do as a lawyer, a financially focused lawyer, and the need to come up with a cure for COVID-19. Now, hundreds of treatments are being developed and tested to 
prevent or treat COVID-19, including several vaccines that appear to be nearing approval. Um, On the treatment side, that is to say, after one contacts the disease, there's uh, a, a, a medicine entitled Rindesivir, which was approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat patients who are at least 12 years of age or older and require hospitalization. However, the World Health Organization that we once were members of and got out under the current administration, and it looks like the future administration is going to put us back in, they uh, later recommended against its use. So the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has issued an emergency use uh, authorization for a, uh, a, a treatment based on Regeneron, and it's an experimental medicine that was given to our current president to treat his COVID-19 and for other high-risk patients with mild to moderate disease. Again, it's not widely available to the general public. Now, on the prevention side, there are several different vaccine technologies that are intended to provide acquired immunity against COVID-19. Now, previous work by scientists and researchers and developers uh, to develop a vaccine against coronavirus disease such as SARS and MERS established a knowledge base and a structure understanding, a structural understanding of coroviruses, which have, it appears, accelerated the development this year of the very techniques, the platforms that will hopefully deal with COVID-19 and produce a vaccine. For example, there are several. There's AstraZeneca. They have a a product that they say is 62% effective uh, when people take two doses months apart. But they've also said that there's a subgroup of volunteers who, when they got a half dose initially and followed up with a full dose a month later, the vaccine appears to be 90% effective. Okay, so that averages out to 70% efficacy. And there's also Pfizer. They have, uh, 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 they're working with a company, Moderna, and they have produced, these two companies have produced uh, a vaccine that appears to be 95% effective. Now, and they use a very similar technique. And then there's other companies that are hot on the trail of these three companies. And they include Johnson & Johnson. They have a, a vaccine that they're working with with a company called Janssen Pharmaceuticals. And there's Maryland-based Norovatics. They have a joint venture with a company called Sanofix Flu Blocks. And uh, they are also is uh, uh, development with Glasgow Smith Klein. They have a product under development, and even China and Russia have products that they're developing. And so, you know, hopefully, one, two, more, or all of these entities will come up with something that will bring an end to this scourge. And I'm truly excited about this because I have a, a technical bent and uh, one of my siblings is a, a chemical engineer. And so this is truly an exciting time to be in the pharmaceutical business or to be in any kind of STEM related or healthcare 
uh, provisioning related business with all mankind and womankind hoping and praying for a a cure to this disease or at least some kind of preventative measure. But my question is this, even if one or more of these promising vaccines or cures come to fruition, will a sizable portion of the black community be left out? Did you know that there's a sizable portion of the African-American diaspora that don't trust our healthcare system and they have very valid historic reasons for this level of distrust? So unless we focus on this and do something about it, I don't think our entire society can rest assured that we will have a cure that truly works. So when we come back, I'll explain to you why there is a health care trust deficit in the black community and propose some ideas to overcome it. But first, we're going to take a short break. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of why there is a health care trust deficit in the Black community that must be overcome by the new administration in order for us to truly be able to stamp out COVID-19 from our society and then be able to bring our economy back full guns. Now, my source material today is a great essay by Dr. J. Corey Williams. He is a a contributor, and he was published in The Hill. That's a political magazine out of Washington, D.C. His article was published a few years back on August 24th, 2017, and it was entitled Black Americans Don't Trust Our Healthcare System, and Here's Why. Now, Back in 2017, we didn't have COVID, but the distrust in the African-American community against the healthcare system and healthcare providers has been around since the founding of this country. And I like the fact that Dr. Williams just laid it out on the table for us to, you know, digest or pass up. But I think we really need to take a look and examine this and figure out a way to overcome it. Because I got to tell you, if large portions of the African-American community aren't willing to be vaccinated and we're blended in throughout this society, unless we're going to form a new kind of segregation in this country, there's going to be a problem stamping out this terrible scourge. Here we go. Dr. Williams says, many Black Americans do not trust their health care providers to act in their best interests. Research has shown that Blacks are much less likely to report trust in their physicians and hospitals. Thus, they are less likely to seek out treatment or be compliant with the recommended treatment plans. Now, the medical community, he goes on, should care about this collective sense of Black distrust in medicine. It is a major factor in the well-documented health disparities between Blacks and whites. In many cases, when Blacks have the same disease as their white counterparts, Blacks are much less likely to uh, be able 
to deal with their disease and are much more likely to die sooner. For instance, Blacks are three times more likely to die of asthma than their white counterparts. Blacks have a 25% higher cancer rate than their white counterparts. Black women have a 20% higher cancer death rate rate than their white counterparts. Blacks tend to develop chronic diseases earlier in life and overall have shorter life expectations than compared to whites. Trust is not only a foundational element of a therapeutic doctor-patient relationship, but also has a vital factor in patients' decisions in seeking out early health um, uh, sustaining and disease preventing in advance of the disease taking on its more pernicious form. In order to address this distrust of the U.S. healthcare system, there must be exploration of the historical roots and how prejudice operates in modern medicine. So he goes into some of the historical uh, perspective. The U.S. medical establishment has a long legacy of discriminating and exploiting Black Americans, the indelible memory of which remains deeply embedded in the collective consciousness of the Black community. Historically, medicine has used Black bodies without their consent for its own advancement while medical theories technologies and institutions were used to reinforce systems of oppression. Now, in the antebellum period, Blacks were forced to participate in dissections and medical experimentation. Dead Black bodies robbed from their graves were a continuous source of surgical and anatomical experimentation. The psych Psychiatric diagnosis of drapamineona, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, or the runaway slave syndrome was created and diagnosed to pathologize African slaves who fled from their vicious slave owners. I'm laughing because, you know, if somebody was to tell somebody, uh, it's like saying that if a, 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 a partner in a relationship was abusing and beating their partner and and abusing their partner. And the partner decided that he or sometimes she wanted to escape from this terrible relationship. There was something mentally wrong with them, but there actually was a medical diagnosis of called the runaway slave syndrome and it was a medical treatment and the idea was to catch the runaway slave and bring her back and um, sometimes the treatment included and those of you who know have seen know the movie roots was to cause the slave to have to give up a part of their bodily extremities so they would stop running away okay Then the doctor goes on to say, later during the Reconstruction era, white American doctors argued that former slaves could not strive and would not strive in free society because their minds could not cope 
with the psychology of freedom. In the civil rights era, era, psychiatrists used the concept of schizophrenia to portray black activists as violent, hostile, and paranoid because they threatened the status quo. But this is the most pernicious part we get here, or one of the I find pernicious. Um, there was the, many, um, and I'm stepping out of the essay, many uh, of Americans know of the Tuskegee Airmen. They were this group of African-American pilots who uh, trained at, uh, in the Tuskegee area, and they were shipped off to fight in World War II and did a great job. But this, there's also another um, Tuskegee uh, um, uh, era that folks need to know about. It's the Tuskegee syphilis study where hundreds of black men without their consent were intentionally administered syphilis and denied treatment because the very embodiment of the way medicine and medical research was weaponized against African-Americans. Doctors, scientists wanted to know what would happen if syphilis was not treated. And so these men were given syphilis, denied treatment, told that they were being treated uh, for something else, and it spread amongst the men and their partners uh, rampant. Now, scholars have written for decades about the Tuskegee experiments symbolizing the racism embodied in medicine and laying the foundation for Black community distrust against uh, physicians and research. Many scholars argue that although the Black distrust of the health system started way before Tuskegee, this study had become a central metaphor and focal point for explaining Black's distrust in medicine and our public health system. Now, I, you know, am a researcher. Before I became a a lawyer, I was a researcher. And the Tuskegee syphilis study, just kind of like it's very, very troubling and disgusting. And most Black people know about it. And it underlines and undergirds why there's such a distrust. So Dr. Williams goes on to say, in modern times, as healthcare professionals, this is the central and sociological genealogy of why Blacks don't trust the healthcare system. It's no surprise that Blacks don't trust doctors in hospitals, despite trends in the reduction of racial prejudice over recent decades, the marginalization of Blacks takes place at every level of the contemporary medical system. So he goes on to say, what do we need to do? Doctor says the medical community must address the real sense of suspicion, distrust, and cynicism that is deeply embedded in the black collective memory. Earning a patient's trust is very difficult given this historical forces and the symbiosis of it. But medical education systems, hospitals, physicians, including psychiatrists, themselves can take steps to address the issue. So Dr. Um, J. Corey Williams 
is a resident and physician at Yale University Department of Psychiatry, and he also helps try to um, mentor um, black and brown kids from the inner city. So what do I say? I say President-elect Biden and Vice President Harris need to reach out to people, doctors like Dr. Williams and others, knowledgeable uh, physicians from our community to build that bridge over this wide chasm of distrust in our community. That's the only way we're going to end the scourge of COVID-19 and even if a vaccine is discovered. Otherwise, our economy is never going to get back on its feet totally. So I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing, I'd like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of human nature that we need to overcome to make sure that all of our children, black, white, Latino, Asian, immigrant, native-born, survive this medical crisis. Y'all have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.